Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. This is edition number 28 of season 8 as we continue uh, studying the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are still working our way through chapter 5 on the doctrine of providence. This morning we come to paragraph number four. Let's pray together, and then we'll consider this paragraph together. Our Father in heaven, as we come now to these very important truths, and as they are summarized for us here in this historic document, we thank you that you've given these things to us to help us understand your word. We thank you for revealing yourself in your word, and we thank you that you are the God of providence, and that you order and direct and govern all of your creatures, all of their actions knowing that you do so because of your infinite wisdom and holiness, designed all to the good of your glory and the good of your church. May you help us with these matters. May you comfort us with them. May you instruct us by your Spirit, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, we come now to paragraph four. We've worked our way through the first three paragraphs dealing with matters of the doctrine of providence, how that God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things. We've considered matters related to um, the first cause of all things, the second cause, and how God uses means typically to accomplish that which he has decreed to accomplish, and how he uses those means ordinarily, though he is free to work uh, without, above, and against them. Today we come to paragraph number four. There we read, The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in His providence that it extendeth itself even to the first fall, and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, but such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding, and otherwise ordering and governing of them, in a manifold dispensation, to his own holy ends. Yet so, as the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature, and not from God, who, being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver of sin. There's a number of things we need to touch on here. Of course, the big question that certainly comes to, uh, to, to the forefront when it when we talk about God's eternal decree and especially how it works out in his acts of providence is what do we do with the first fall? Did God, did God in fact decree the fall of man, that is to say the, the sin of Adam and Eve that plunged all of us into this life of, of, of sin and misery? Well, the confession answers that question with an emphatic yes when it says that this act of providence, these acts so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extended itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. Now again, using some of the words from uh, Dr. Chad Van Dixhorn in his fine book, Confessing the Faith, we read here that the main point of this paragraph is to prove that and then to explain how God manifests or shows forth His power, wisdom, and goodness in His providence. This includes His providential working in the first fall, and then after the fall in all other sins of angels and men. 
If God really does ordain and then govern all things, he must have ordained and governed Satan's rebellion in heaven and Adam and Eve's rebellion on earth. And yet, if this sounds so speculative as a general idea about the first fall, one has only to look at the specific details of God's providence regarding the sins of angels and men. He goes on to use a very good example from First Chronicles where an old adversary provoked proud King David to number the troops of Israel. That's found in First Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 1. Here we see an evil angel prompting a saint to sin, and yet 2 Samuel 24.1 reveals that this was God's will, and we can quickly see that God used Satan's deceitful ideas and David's sins in order to punish the people of Israel for their own wickedness. To us, it may seem complicated. So many layers and David's apparently straightforward command to carry out a census. To God, it is all part of a perfect plan. And so, in this statement of, our, of this fourth paragraph, we do take note very clearly that God's act of permitting the first fall was not by bare permission, but such as hath joined with it a most wise and powerful bounding. Now, Isaiah 45, verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And so God, in His unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness, permitted, that is to say, decreed and ordered by His divine providence, matters that are less than comfortable for us to understand. But we must recognize that in this act, this act of, that joins with it a most wise and powerful bounding and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends, does not impugn the nature of God. That is simply to say that God does not sin, nor does he approve of sin. That is to say, with Adam and Eve in the garden, God did not entice them to sin. He did not work in their hearts sin. He did, not, he did not compel them to sin, but they sinned in and of their own free choice. And so the confession makes this clear when it says, Yet so is the sinfulness thereof proceedeth only from the creature, and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or, or approver of sin. And James chapter 1 makes this very clear to us. No matter how confused we may be about this matter, on this point we should not be confused at all. And in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 13, we read, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Psalm 50, verse 21, These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such a one as thyself, but I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. And so regardless of how we try to make sense of the first fall and how God decreed and governed by his own providence the first fall and not by a bare permission, in other words, he didn't just say, I permit it, but he purposed to permit it 
in the lives of our first parents. He purposed to permit it in the lives of in 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 the people in, in the angels. He purposes to permit it in our lives, but we are the guilty party. We are culpable. We are the ones who are enticed by our own nature, drawn away by our own lust, and then sin as sin gives birth in our own consciousness and our own life. It proceeds from the creature and not from God. And so regardless of how we try to make sense of this and whether we uh, really do make sense of it or not, we must recognize that even the confession admits the fact that in His unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness, God does these things. He manifests themselves in His providence, that it extends even to the first fall. And so while we puny-brained people, limited in our understanding and intelligence, this is the plain teaching of the Scriptures. And so we must believe it and take it at face value and recognize that regardless of how we try to untangle this, the fact remains that God did not make Adam and Eve sin, nor does He make you sin, nor does He make the angels sin. For God cannot do that. For James chapter 1 makes that abundantly clear. No, instead, we, are, we sin because of our sin nature, because we're drawn out by that nature, enticed by that nature, and it leads, it gets conceived there, and it gives birth to sin itself. And so we must not blame God for the sinfulness of humanity, though God purposed to permit purpose to allow Adam and Eve to fall. One of my professors said something quite remarkable in class, one that I think, if I remember correctly, it's been a few years now, but as I remember correctly, I sat and I pondered for some time because I've never heard it expressed that way before. But here's what he said. He said, knowing what we know about God, that is to say, if we go back to chapter 2 and we meditate upon the very nature and person of God, one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, and on it goes. Chapter 2, paragraph 1, moving in even to paragraph 2. Given what we know that the scriptures tell us about the God of heaven as he has revealed himself, it was better for us that man fell in the garden. Now I realize that that... That seems to go against all everything we know. It seems to go against against the grain. But paragraph four, in some sense, says that, doesn't it? The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in His providence that it extended itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. And so while we may not be able to fully explain that to our own sensibilities, we must accept this as true. Given what we know about God, for we start our theology with Him, and as that works itself out, it was better that man fell in the garden. This was according to God's divine plan and purpose. And it is running. It is being accomplished. But in no way can we ever say that God did wrong. No way can we ever say that God enticed our first parents to sin or even entices you to sin. No, my friends, you sin because you choose to. As a redeemed child of God, you sin because you choose to. You are enticed 
by the, by, the, by the nature that still is at war, the old man with the new man. And you're enticed by those things. And when you give yourself over to them, that is when sin gives birth and then you fall. No, no, it's your fault. It is not God's fault. We pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God does lead us at times into temptation. Jesus himself, Matthew 4, was led into temptation by the Spirit. But he does not tempt you. He does not do that. You do that. I do that. That's why it's important that we watch and pray lest we enter into temptation. We might not sin against our holy God. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Thursday edition, when we take up paragraph uh, number five, may the Lord help you today. May you walk in his ways. May you watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. God bless.